Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host who is committed to living his best life, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? Larry Brenner was a 46-year-old podcast host dedicated to watching Disney movies. He hesitated as his co-host partner, Andy Redwine, asked him how he was doing. Should he answer? Should he keep it to himself? He decided on a non-committal response. I'm doing great, Andy. How are you? But in fact, Larry was not doing great. Larry was concerned that he did not like Andy's movie and was hoping that maybe he would find a way to, to love it by the end of the episode. Well, if you haven't guessed what we're doing here, friends, we're doing the movie Tuck Everlasting. And I think Larry's making a comment on the narrator's role in this film. Oh, um, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, Tuck Everlasting, 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if you don't notice a heavy, a heavy use of narration in this movie, <laughs> you have not watched it. The narrator has more lines than anyone else. Right. Uh, You know, if we were watching this movie like on Netflix or something, it it would definitely be in the understated genre, uh, meaning that it's simple. The plot moves very slowly. It showcases scenery as part of the story. I, I in reading the book and of course, my kids read this when they were probably third, fourth grade, something like that. Um, they, it, it's really sort of a child's introduction to prose, I think. Uh, and, and I think this movie embodies that slow, deliberate storytelling style. I am hoping that by the end of this episode, you will have convinced me to put this on the understated category. That is not presently where I categorize it, but get me there. Do you have any right. feedbacks for us, Andy? I do. I will do my very best, Larry, to to hopefully shine a a a, a, a kind light on this movie. How about that? Um, sure. So t- so Tuck Everlasting started life as a hundred and thirty nine ish page novel uh, for children, penned by Natalie Babbitt, and was released in nineteen seventy five. So in the book, when he is ten years old, the book is set in eighteen eighty. And Jessie gives Winnie a bottle filled with water from the spring and tells her to drink it when she turns 17. And then I guess they can talk it over. <laughs> well, I, and and Andy, I think it's important because when I when I first heard this key fact from Andy, my response was was um, the throw up emoji. Uh, but but Andy, in in the book, you told me it is not as romantic uh, oh. as it is in this movie. No, I think Jesse in this in this uh, or Winnie in this movie is 10, 11 years old. She's got that kind of one sided crush that little girls get or, you know, tween girls get on older teenage boys who really aren't that interested in them. But who but but Jesse is lonely because of his big secret. And so I think it's a more of a friendship than a romantic Film. I mean, this this movie is definitely a, ro- a romance. This movie. movie is a romance, but but right. there was there was never a draft of this uh, as a ten year romance, not as a book, right. not as a movie. And I right. feel like that's important because otherwise, I'm done. Episode over. <laughs> We're at three minutes and fifty seconds. Good night. What else right. you got for us? <laughs> so this isn't the first film adaptation of this novel. 
Uh, there is a movie that came out in 1981. It was distributed by One Pass Media, and it alters the setting to 19th century New York and makes Winnie 12. So I don't know how that changes things, really, but... I mean, I 12, have, she I, should be thinking about settling down and having children. That that well, has always been our stance on this podcast. Yes, over the hill. Why is she <laughs> I waiting? Mean, in, I mean, in 1880, yeah. Yeah, worked, maybe in 1880. Yeah, Oof. so... Uh, in 2015, Tuck Everlasting was adapted into a Broadway musical, was nominated for 21 awards, um, had a very short run on Broadway, I think three months. Um, the Disney version of this movie was directed by Jay Russell, who had just directed My Dog Skip, which is a sweet little movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should see My Dog Skip. Uh and and Tuck Everlasting did a little better than breaking even financially. Uh, the critics were mixed on their reviews. Joel Siegel at uh, Good Morning America called it a beautifully told fable with kind of a Halloween twist. Uh, Eleanor Ringo Carter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution said the film harks back to a time when movies had more to do with imagination than market research. And Roger Ebert, my old pal, gave mm -hmm. the movie a mixed review in which he asks the following question. If one sip from the spring grants immortality, why do the tucks remain for a century in their cottage in the woods? I know what I'd do. I'd spend 10 years apiece in the most, the world's most interesting places. I had the same note. I had the same yeah. note. I don't know why they haven't moved. Um, but, but we'll get into that when we get to plot. I, uh, I'm, I'm on Ebert's side of this. As, yeah, as I think I, they're hiding I out. I think, I think they're hiding out from mortals, you know, um, but I'm not sure. But so, they yeah, are hiding out in the most obvious place <laughs> that they could hide out in. In fact, they are less noticeable if they move from place to place. No one will notice they're not aging because they're on the move. It yeah, makes and, no and sense. The, well, and then I had a thought, well, what if do they have to continually go back to the spring? Because Jesse's certainly doing that. He's certainly drinking from the spring again and again. And is that what keeps him immortal? But, but it then, doesn't seem but, but that doesn't seem to be the case either. No, because they treat it like it's kind of a curse. Uh, right. All, right. All, yeah. No, I'm with you. Uh, let's get into the plot because because I'm itching again. Because we're going to because we're, we're going we're gonna. <laughs> So we begin, as we always do, with the Manish Tana. And this movie begins uh it begins in what I suspect to be about late 1970s, early 1980s, uh, small middle American town. Uh, mm -hmm. We see cars going down a street and we see a figure on a motorcycle uh, appear in frame. He takes off his motorcycle helmet and we see that he is a young boy. Uh, and he's traveled to this town and and there is narration being spoken over this about how, you know, for some people, you know, uh, an hour can seem like an eternity and for others, it just flies by Uh and kind of like and how this, you and I feel about this film. <laughs> this hour that we spend with this movie is undoubtedly an eternity. Thesis proved. Uh, but, <laughs> well, but very shortly after this, we're going to hmm. travel back in time. We're going to actually see this town travel back uh, to 
a less modern era, even though, you know, 1970s, 1980s isn't isn't modern uh, by probably the audience's definition in 2002. Um, And so my question for you is, Andy, why are we starting in the future of this movie and then going back to the past? Why, why, Why not just start? where the story starts. What do we get out of starting in this in this vision of the future where we know uh, this young boy is alive riding a motorcycle? Well, this movie, let, let me preface what I'm about to say by saying this. This movie is clearly for younger viewers. And I think it's a first venture into some pretty heady ideas about life and death. And I think for what it is, it does a great job of it. You and I might disagree on that. But... Um, if we start with ta- with with Jesse in that space, we know that there's something up with him. Uh, it, it, the line is, for some time passes slowly, for the tux, it didn't exist. And so there's like, oh, well, what would it be like to exist outside of time? We're about to see what that's like. And so there is some dramatic irony sort of built in there where the, where the, um, the audience knows about Jesse. We know something. We know that he's been in the future, but he's also in the past um, when 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 he meets him. When we so, meet him, he's been met before, which is interesting, I think, a, an interesting thing to do, to try. And not to come in too hot, because this is not this is not um, necessarily where I want to live and die. I don't like this opening. And here's my reason. Number one, 95 percent of our movie is going to be taking place in the past where Mm -hmm. part of the stakes is what's going to happen to the Tuck family. Mm -hmm. Um, We know throughout the entire movie that Jesse is going to be fine. We've seen him a century later. He seems happy riding his motorcycle coming into town. Mm -hmm. Uh, It takes takes out any chance of there being stakes for this character. Now, you might argue... You might argue that's the point. There is no stakes uh, if if you're immortal, but but the movie will try to raise the idea that there are stakes. The other concern that I have about this opening is it sets it up as if Jesse's going to be our main character, that the movie's going to be centered yeah. around him, and he is he is an important character. I mean, no no question, but it's not his story. It it really well, isn't. Well, typically, you know, in a Disney movie, and we've talked about this before, how we meet the antagonist first. I mean, I think that he is uh, her antagonist in a lot of ways. You say that her. Jesse is the antagonist, and I might agree with you on that. Well, I'm, I'm not 100% certain, but I do. But the movie treats it like it's going to be a big reveal when, when Winnie Foster finds out that Jesse is immortal. She doesn't find it out until 45, 50 minutes into the movie that Jesse will not age. But we've known it from minute one in the audience. We are so far ahead of where our protagonist is on this journey that it makes it hard for us to align ourselves with her because we're like, just figure it out already. We're already there. That's that's my argument. But back to you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I think the movie is setting up this idea. And again, the narration is feeding this 
um, the idea of time is this wheel that turns, right? But the hub of the wheel, in this case, like the woods, like it doesn't move as much. And so, yeah, like I, again, I think it's, I think it's also relying a lot on this novel um, that I, I think this movie expects you to have read this book. And, and, that's, and that's unfortunate. I think, that is unfortunate. I, because I think an adaptation should stand on its own. Like if I'm watching, say, the Harry Potter movies, um, I should just go, oh, I shouldn't have to read, have read Harry Potter in order to get the story. And I right. think, I think, Mike, if we were ever doing the Harry Potter movies, and we're not, my criticism mm-hmm. is the Harry Potter movies require you to have either read the book or sit next to someone who can whisper to you, oh my gosh, you know, like, blah, 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 and it's like this. fill in it's the that. details. Exactly, exactly. And so in that way, and, and that's one of the reasons I made the comparison, is because in that way, I think these movies are similar. Um, you I, have to sort of be grounded into that world and kind of know a little bit because if you come in wild, that's not none of this is going to make any sense to you, I don't think. So, uh, moving us forward, I'll, I'll sure. take that as the answer. Uh, okay. Moving us forward, uh, we we travel back in time to the 19th century, and and the movie lets us know that Winnie Foster, in fact, is going to be our protagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see her, and the first, I mean, pretty much the first thing we see is how much she is chafing against her mother's expectations of what a young woman should be as she's as she begins the journey into adulthood. I oh, believe, literally literally chafing. She's wearing a freaking corset, right? Wearing a freaking corset. <laughs> um uh, and and on physically uncomfortable in it. Uh I believe she's 15 in the movie or she's 14 and about to turn 15 and turns 15 later in the movie but that's she's closer she's closer to 15 than 15, she is yeah than she is to 16 certainly uh, we see when they go into town her mother's got like you know some high social standing um but that Winnie when given the opportunity like tries to escape to play baseball with the local with the local kids right um and I, uh, we, we see all of that. None of that is the inciting incident, however. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a little, there's a couple of places where you might think the inciting incident is. And I'm not quite sure which one is the inciting incident. Mm. Um, uh, so, Andy, I'm going to give you my two contenders for inciting okay. incident. Maybe okay. you pick which one you think it is or if there's a third one. Okay. So shortly uh, after this, and I'll get to the inciting incidents, we see that, you know, Jesse and his brother have returned home to town uh, where where they're reunited with their parents, the Tucks. Uh, we see this we like we, we kind of get away from Winnie's point of view. But when we get back to Winnie's point of view, um, a man in a yellow suit who we will later learn is named the man in the yellow suit. Um, I, I mean, you know, if you're named that, you got to wear a yellow suit. That's just that just how it is. Got to got to commit to it at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes to the house and starts asking Winnie questions about like, has she heard about the Tuck family? He He's come to this town looking for the Tuck family. He is kind. He is intelligent 
Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very calm. But there is definitely a sinister aspect to him. And some low-grade sexual undercurrent that he is attracted to her. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, she says, why don't you talk to my father? My father knows everybody in town. And it's super gross when he says, but I'd rather stay here talking to you. Uh, that, super gross. But it's meant to be super gross. Exactly. Mm-hmm. One could argue um, that the inciting incident might be this encounter with the man in the yellow suit. That's my that's my first option. I'll get you to okay. my second option. And, and okay. later on, Winnie goes walking around in the woods because the narrator tells us the woods were calling to Winnie. Winnie often liked to walk around in the woods. Um, and while he's you know, something like something along those okay. lines, I, I kind of tuned the narrator out because I realized the narrator was not helpful. Okay. Um, the narrator tells us things like she's walking around in the woods, which would be a great help to me because when I saw her walking around in the woods, I was like, what's happening? Right. And she well, goes, she runs, so she's running away. Right. So I don't think. Kind this is, of? Uh, yeah. She's, she's been standing at that fence for a really long time wanting to get out. And there's a, an event that happens that pushes her outside the fence. But but it, it doesn't feel like she's permanently running away. She hasn't packed her bags. This is more of a childish, right. like, I'm I'm storming out of the house and, and you know, I'll probably a, be back for ta- dinner. It's an extended tantrum, right? Exactly. A, a justified tantrum because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. her parents are not great. Right. Um, but in the woods, she encounters um, Jesse Quick, who is drinking from a mysterious spring at a tree she's about you know like that she sees um they they meet she's like i want to drink from this spring and he says no you don't no you don't and she's like yes i do and he goes it's poison and she goes i still want to drink from it i saw you Uh, drink from it right yes um this leads to her running away from him and ultimately being captured by his brother and i would look to those two moments, although as you say this, maybe there's a third, um, as p- possible contenders for the inciting incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a do you have a favorite for this one, Andy? Yeah, I actually think, and maybe this might be informed by my you know 15 years ago read of the book, but um, the the Foster's decision to send Winnie to a finishing school for girls, I think, feels more like. Winnie can't tolerate this anymore. And that's when she decides to leave. Because I think, I think thematically, this movie is about do, do I stay here and stay buttoned up? Or do I, am I free to live the way I want to live? Right. 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 I, I, I think that's a fine choice. I, I honestly don't think it's the appearance of the man in the yellow suit. Because he is important to the lives of, you know, Jesse and the Tux. But at this point, not really important to Winnie. And this conversation doesn't actually get her out of the house. Right. Right. Like, like I think crossing the crossing the Rubicon of that fence is really an important move for her. I love it because we often talk about how going from one world to another world is the inciting incident. Right. Right. Um, So so. I, I think that that's probably the better one leaning towards her meeting Jesse uh, in the woods. And those uh, which two things happen pretty, pretty close pretty together. Quick. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but one can't happen without the other. 
Right. Um, and and of course, this movie's gonna focus on the relationship between Jesse and 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 Winnie. I almost called her Rory, and I will probably do that at some point during this. Well, uh, it's her pre-Gilmore girls uh Right, the performance. But right. but the but the meeting between uh, Jesse Jesse and Winnie is that their relationship is the heart and soul of this movie. So them mm-hmm. meeting is fine as the inciting incident. Mm-hmm. We move into rising action, such as it is, because I'm gonna say the action doesn't much rise. It is a steep incline. Uh, Winnie is brought to the tux. Where she's where she has been forcibly brought, she is concerned that she is going to be murdered by them. But it becomes clear very quickly that they would never be able to bring themselves to murder this 14-year-old girl, even if and maybe they've had that conversation, but but that they are just too kind-hearted and gentle folk. To 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 except maybe maybe Jesse's brother maybe Jesse's brother could yeah, do it yeah um, but but Jesse clearly doesn't want it and the parents Angus and May don't particularly want it uh, what they've come to what they've come to the conclusion is she's she's really right up to their secret she knows where the spring is and could conceivably bring other people to the spring so they need to keep her there long enough for her to understand don't bring anybody to that spring. Don't tell anybody about us. Right, 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 right. And she hangs out in that house for most of the movie. Mm. And not much happens except she grows closer to them. Um, She is particularly close to Jesse. Uh, There is clearly uh, some sexual tension between the two of them. They go swimming and like he holds her and she partially undresses to get into the water. She kind of likes it when he takes his shirt off there. There's some I mean, it's it's nothing it's nothing too heavy for for, I think, younger viewers to watch. But but you would definitely know that they like each other. Mm-hmm. Um, he eventually reveals to her that, hey. Would you like to be immortal? Because gasp, me and my family are immortal. Um, and the audience goes, finally, this movie was called Tuck Everlasting, and we saw him in 1970s. So how we, we've known this for a while. <laughs> and it looks like she's into it, uh, as as who wouldn't be, except that immediately, you know, Jesse's brother shows up. Jesse's brother's name um is it's escaping Miles. me. Miles. Miles. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, Miles shows up and tells the story about how he uh, tells the story about how they became immortal. They drank from the spring because they were thirsty uh, and then discovered they couldn't die. Uh, you know, and this actually kind of ruined Miles's life. He eventually married and had children. They aged. He didn't. When he tried to get them to drink from the spring, they left. And and he is bitter about that he 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 more than i think any of the others sees this as a curse uh and not a blessing that they live yeah, forever for sure um where would you say this m- movie reaches a climax uh there's a couple of points so the so, so let me set up a little more rising action we'll get there the man in the yellow suit says to uh winnie's father your daughter's been kidnapped 
She might be dead already, but I don't think she is. I'm the only one who can find her in the woods. Although I don't know why that's true. He does not live there and has never been in those woods before. Um, But for some reason, he's the only one who can find these people. Uh, He goes into the woods, leading a party of people into the woods, um, and then decides, you know what, I'm going to run ahead of the rest of the people that I'm bringing. Um, is, Is it the climax, Andy, when the man in the yellow suit has his confrontation with Winnie and the Tux? I don't think so. I don't think so either, but it should be, right? Um, well, if Winnie is the protagonist, then I'm not sure that it should be. Well, because because Jesse, um, the Winnie has a decision to make. This sort of thing that's happening with the Tux is she's seeing the 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 underbelly of what it means to be immortal, which means it's going to be lonely. You can't tell people because if you tell people this, you know, they're all going to want to be immortal. They're all going to want to drink from the spring and they don't understand really the heavy, the burden that it is. Right. And so she, she gets to see that dark underbelly of it. Um, And I think that's part of it. I think when, uh, when May is arrested and they, they're going to hang May for killing him, right? Um, there's this realization like, oh, you can hang her, but she's not going to die. So, and, so then, I wanna... and then and that's going to create even more conflict and more trouble. And then they're all going to be locked up for life, um, it, you know, uh, for eternity. They're going to be locked up. So, so the whole family. Right. So I, I, I'm completely with you on this. So the it feels as we're watching the movie, though. That when the man in the yellow suit gets to the Tuck family, that's when that is when uh, everything is going to hit the fan. It feels that way leading up to it. And that's what I meant when I said it should it should be the climax. I agree with you that it should not be. But it is what the movie has presented to us as going to be like the, the inevitable clash of forces, the battle between good and evil. Right, and then uh, he's just dead. And what's interesting about his death is that he's dead, and you almost see this, well, at least in the book, and maybe I'm projecting the book onto the movie, and that is a yeah. danger, and I'm sorry, but there's almost this wistfulness, like he's laid out on a board, and he's got kind of a smile on his face, like he's dead, but he's, you know. I didn't see a smile on his face in the movie. Um, okay. But- but I wanted to, well, when we talk about the man in the yellow suit, let's come back to him. Okay. Uh, he is he is defeated very easily. May mm-hmm. picks up a frying pan, whacks him on the back of the head. He goes down. And I'm like, surely he's he's not dead and right. done. Right. He's got more to do. He is dead. So mm-hmm. done. And and that moment really surprised me. Because I'm like, we still got more time in this movie, and you just killed the bad guy way ahead of schedule. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, so so what is the... So then thematically, you start asking, well, what is the bad guy? Is the bad guy the guy who was stalking everybody? Or is the bad guy really this curse? 
So then leading to the second climax, which is May and Angus get apprehended by everybody else. And because May killed this stranger in the woods, she is going to be hung, which makes no sense to me. I was not able to understand the legal proceedings here. The man in the yellow suit put a gun to Winnie Foster's head. He he probably wasn't going to kill her, but he Mm -hmm. said he was willing to. She felt threatened by his life. May hit him over the back of the head with a frying pan to save Winnie. Right. right? Why is she being hung? He to, sa- li- to save the girl. I mean, I think they just sort of, I think the town and their, you know, here's the girl of, of prominence and she was kidnapped and she's... You know, yeah, but I I see your I see your issue with it, it because it's because yeah, if go ahead, sorry. I mean, it's not like women are treated in this world of the 19th century as equals. Generally speaking, they are considered the vulnerable population. Maybe they're considered property, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and there's a lot of sexism in there. Well, and a but man died, a, right? Yeah. She, like when a woman defends herself from a man with a gun. With, mm-hmm. with what is an object of domesticity, right? Like mm-hmm. she, it's literally a frying pan. I think that world goes, she, you know, that he poor had woman, coming, right? Yeah. And it's not like the man in the yellow suit is a member of the town or community and that they're all mourning him. No one particularly liked him. And in fact, not only does the town not know his name, we in the audience don't know his name. Um, uh, I mean, his gravestone is going to say man in yellow suit. That's that's what it's going to say. Anonymous right, man right. in yellow suit. Right. And, and I hope he gets buried in that yellow suit because it's what he would have wanted, I think. But but we have to wash away that the legal system here is no matter the circumstance, even if you are saving the life of a young woman, if you kill anyone ever, you will get hung to death. And this Free is bad. Justice is harsh. It, it, it is a, I, I mean, I, I, I want to see that town charter, but, but I'm just going to accept that, I'm, that that's the reality that we're given here. And of course, when she doesn't die, that's going to make them think the tucks are all witches. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't know what happens from that point because they could keep trying to kill the tucks. The tucks will never die. No, that, I think they would just be locked up for eternity. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. I, I, I just don't. I mean, which I is just, ironic because Angus has already sort of locked himself into a space and his family into a space to protect them. So the irony is they would be locked up and protected that way. It's weird. Yeah. So, so there's a need to rescue May and Angus, which I do not understand and am not on board with. Uh, but but let's assume oh, okay. we want to we, we want to break them out of prison. We don't we I, I don't I don't believe that they would ever be locked up. And I don't I don't believe they'd hang her. But the movie tells me it's true. So if that's true, I do want her rescued. Mm-hmm. And you could argue that the climax of this movie is can Winnie and the Tuck boys save the mom and mm-hmm. and get away. But that is not the dramatic question of this movie. And Andy, I think one of my problems is the climax of this movie does not happen on camera. The climax of this movie is 
The question we've been asking is, will Winnie drink from the stream uh, and become immortal? And when Jesse and the family leave, he says, drink from the stream. I'll come back for you and we can be together. Um, Mm -hmm. And we see she has this choice. She watches her grandmother die, uh, Mm -hmm. which I think was supposed to be uh, set up. Uh, early on in the movie, we see the grandmother like drinking medicine or something right, along those lines. Right. I had by this point forgotten that the grandmother existed and was about to die. She has a conversation with her mother where her mother says, you know, it's so sad. Every time I look at you, you look different, you which, change, right. you know, you change. We never see Winnie go to the stream and make a decision as to whether or not she will drink from it or not, we are not privy to her reasoning on this. We never know why she chooses not to drink from the stream. And for but me, but I don't think that's a dramatic question, Larry. It is absolutely the dramatic question of this movie. The question of this movie is: If you could choose to be immortal, would you? Would you make? Yeah, that choice? I mean, I think that's a. I, I think there. Okay, then that's one dramatic question. There's another. Which okay. is, does Winnie leave her mom or does Winnie find a way to stay in her family? And, and, um, because, you know, she leaves. Does is that she leave question with answered? Jessie? Yeah, I think so. Because I think how did, she stays how does with her, she, how does she, how does she, how does she learn to be with her mom? Well, I mean, I think she, one of the things that she does is that she stays, she w- sees the vulnerability of her mom as her grandmother is dying. And I think that brings a lot of juice to her decision to stay mortal. Because but ultimately that after the prison break, right? So if right, that's the right, climax. Right, right. No, I think the climax of this movie happens when Jesse leaves Winnie, asks her to go with him. She says, Yeah, no, tells her, and then he tells her he, he's gonna love her till the day she dies or he dies. Everything else after that sort of feels like falling action to me. I think you're right in that the climax isn't super defined in a way that we would want, but I think they're kind of sweeping up, you yeah. know? See, for me, this movie isn't about Winnie and her mom. It's about Winnie and Jesse. No, I think it's about Winnie and what she's choosing to do for herself. Is she going to go? Because in a lot of ways, the tucks represent another kind of corseted life, right? Their life is equally as stifling as the formality of the life that she has with her family. But it's not a binary either. She doesn't have to choose one or the other. She could make a third choice. Yeah, it's set up for her that way. But she doesn't, she she does it herself. And we learn that she becomes a wife. She becomes a mother. I mean, it does happen off camera. And that's kind of strange. Um, But yeah, I think she... I think those experiences all bring a lot of juice to her decision to to stay. I mean, she stays in the same house. She, st- she- I mean, so here is here is the thing. Um, and and Andy, I I don't mean to argue with you too vociferously about it because I'm not saying it's a wrong answer. Um, but if the intent is is what is Winnie going to choose? Ultimately, what this movie posits is Winnie has chosen to do exactly what her mother has said. She stays in town, she gets married, she has children, and never sees the Eiffel Tower. 
Right. She she dies well, we don't there. Know if she's, I mean, maybe she's okay, so maybe she sees know. the. But she doesn't go out for a life of adventure in the world. Right. She stays rooted to this spot and right. dies at a hundred years old. And right. I don't know. And so look, a hundred years that is a gift. But right. I don't know whether or not that was a hundred years well spent. Or if it was a hundred years of living by someone else's rules. I would like to believe it's a hundred years well spent. But the movie doesn't give us any evidence other than maybe the music that's playing in the background. Right. Like like the kind of tone that it's setting. But I don't actually know that. Well, I think one of the problems with this movie is is May actually create like May is the one who kills the man with the yellow hat. I think it's far more interesting if Winnie does that. If Winnie does it, May takes the blame for it. Yes. Uh, because that's because far she more does interesting to me. Far mm-hmm. more interesting. I love that because adjustment. She's been she's been leaning on Jesse instead of standing on her own, right? And I think that leaning gives her the courage. I mean, she's physically leaning on him. And that leaning gives her the courage to truly live. But she's I mean, she's free. We see she experiences a freedom. And when she goes back, I like to think that when she goes back to her house, um, one of the things that they're doing is the summer's over, but they're all getting in the cars and they're going someplace. They're not just staying in that space. So I think it's subtle. I don't think it it's as um, satisfying as we want it to be. But yeah, I, I think... I think they take her choices away from her. And realistically, in that time period, she would have had her choices taken from her. So, you know. I wanna know. I wanna transition us a little bit to theme. I know we usually go mm-hmm. to characters, but it's it's natural sure. here. I wanna tell you my positioning on what this movie is about. Okay. Um, so for me, the theme of this movie is about mortality. Mm-hmm. It is about it like that is where this is positioned. If it is like anything we've seen in Disney before. It is it is a mature version of Peter Pan to me yeah. for a particular degree. Peter yeah. Pan famously the boy who could not grow up. Oh sure, sure. And so I uh listener sharing some of my neuroses with you since I can't find a therapist. Congratulations. Uh just keep this confidential, okay? <laughs> uh, one of one of the things that I struggle with, a lot of my anxieties are rooted around with are my fear of death. I would not have voted for a system that has death in it. Uh, I didn't get to vote, and that's fine. But, But I think one of the things that I've often asked of myself is, if I could live forever, would I take it? Or is is a conclusion, is death necessary? And for me, this movie speaks to that. And where I think it wants to land is Winnie comes to the conclusion that Angus has come to that life without an end has no meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that is that is that she she can find meaning, but it is it is mortality that gives life meaning. Nothing the tucks ever do will be meaningful because they are now apart from the cycle. Uh, Interesting. And so that's that's the positioning that that I look at this movie from. My issue thematically is that Winnie is 15 in this movie and she's got years to grow. Arguably, she has not. I I mean, where you want to define womanhood, 
is fine. I don't think she's in her adult body yet. And I don't think the temptation to drink from the from the from the spring fully exists at 15. I would not want to be 15 forever. The no, time to approach no. me, the time to approach me about drinking at the spring was probably when I was 30 and I noticed mm-hmm. that my hair was starting to go. Like <laughs> like for me, that, but I'm not I'm not kidding. For me yeah, that was yeah. like a sign of uh, my body is going to going to decline. I can arrest right. it. Net. Like that's the time when you ask this question. I I think it's a hard question to ask of a fifteen year old girl. I have to imagine that Winnie, for the rest of her life, constantly revisited the idea of should I drink from this stream? Because it's not like she only has one chance to drink from it. She yeah, could I mean, drink she from knows it where 20, the tree is. She could have done it at any point. Thirty. Right? Mm-hmm. 40 probably at 99 she was she she had made up her mind <laughs> that that this is not the body i want to be frozen in forever right. Right. Uh, if she was going to do it she should have done it earlier but it is it is a question that doesn't get answered once it will get no answered. it's she not will, she'll have to revisit not, it yeah it's not satisfying at all and i i think that is but what I do think this movie does is it raises questions, particularly for children um, who like, is it okay to live forever or is it okay to um, really just be satisfied with the, with what we've been given and make the most of it. Right. And I think there's a, there's a scene where Angus takes her out into the pond which yes. is odd, which is odd, an odd choice to me because everybody's looking again. They not just look across the water and be like, there she is in the boat with Angus. Um, as we got to make this movie visually interesting because nothing's happening. So we need to be in a different <laughs> right. location. That's the reason. Right. That's the reason. Right. And so he grabs her and starts talking to her about the, the realities of, of this life. And I think when she's, when she's, so when she's there and she's dipping her hand in there she hears Jesse say in her mind's, you know, in her mind, um, you know, drink this and we'll be together forever. But then she also hears Angus and and what he's talking about too. And that the idea of the the core idea of the movie is that a life um that that what they're doing isn't really living. Um, because there are no stakes to it. For right? sure. I mean, I mean, that's that is exactly right. I will say, however, the tucks are living wrong. They are doing immortality wrong. Right. For, the only one for, who's and doing Roger it, Ebert notes that. Right. And, and earlier yes, we talked about the that. only right. one who's doing it right is Jesse because Jesse is exploring the world. And he says, mm-hmm. someday I'm going to go everywhere. And mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, I'm like, but once he was gone everywhere, what's left? But then I remembered the world is going to change a lot over yeah. the course of the next couple of centuries. So he gets to keep doing it over and over again. And every yeah. time he goes to those places, it will be different. The tragedy for Jesse comes when the sun reaches a supernova. Nova. Mankind has been existed. The earth explodes and he's floating in space, cold and alone forever. That I'm not looking forward to that for him. But but in terms of who is doing, I, I, I do think about this a lot. Um, <laughs> any therapist listening, I am a I am gettable as a client. Um, but 
But, you know, as in terms of who's doing immortality right, it's not his parents. It's no. him. No, because they're locked away and they're locking themselves away and sort of living this life that isn't even, yeah, and they they kind of are living like they're stuck in 1880 or whatever, right? So here's a question for you. And and now Mm -hmm. we're getting into the metaphysics of this. When -hmm. you drink a sip of water from the spring, I know you're arrested physically. Are you arrested emotionally? And what I'm asking is, is Jesse mentally going to be 17 forever? Is is Miles going to be in his mid-20s mentally forever? Are Angus and May always, like, are they capable of growing and changing, changing as people? Yeah, I, I had that question as well. And it seems strange to me that Jesse is 104, and it's, what, 1915 or something? And, you know, he's he's seen a lot in life and yet contain, continues to have this sort of happy-go-lucky um, out, outlook. Uh, it, it is a world of infinite ama- possibilities for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he still sees possibility. And I mean, I think Jesse and Miles, I mean, I, the two of them are, are um, very clearly at opposite ends of that possibility spectrum, right? Emotionally. I think, I think the weight of all of this is reserved for miles in a lot of the same way of say the movie, uh, Groundhog Day, where, um, where, you know, Bill Murray lives the same day over and over and over and over again until he learns the lessons he's supposed to learn. I, my questions even go farther back than that. Um, are the woods sort of a character and why this spring and why this, and why is anybody saying well, what's so special about this spring? Why it, did it become this way? And nobody seems to ever answer, ask or answer or seek an answer to that question. So, I mean, so now you're speaking my language cause I have this written down also. Okay. Uh, so what is the supernatural underpinning? Why does this spring exist in the right. first place? What is its purpose? Right. Uh, what what entity created it there? And and I want to throw out to you that when you compare it with Groundhog Day, uh, there is a stunning contrast. You, and I'm so glad you brought that example to mind because it makes everything easier for me. Okay. In Groundhog Day, uh, Bill Murray is very clear that there is a reason why this is happening. He Mm -hmm. just can't figure it out. And he spends the entire movie trying to figure it out. And eventually, uh, whether it, we we have no idea how much time it takes. It may take thousands of years, according to some people. He does, and he's allowed to proceed to the next place. But the way that this is set up seems to be, it was a random occurrence that Jesse uh, and his family so drank from like, it. Why are they the chosen? I they, have no idea. And they're chosen. Mm. They didn't yes. choose this, which fine. No. Bill Murray doesn't choose it in Groundhog's Day. Right. But but then then they never they never they could spend some time trying to figure it out. Why is Jesse traveling the world? Why does he go to Paris? Maybe he wanted to go to a library in Paris that might have information about this spring. Maybe right. he wants to, you know, climb to like a 
a Buddhist temple somewhere. Uh, maybe he wants to go to the Himalayas. Maybe, maybe he's searching the world for answers to his immortality. I also don't know why they think they're immortal. How do they know this spring isn't going to wear off in a century? Right. right. But they maybe, seem very maybe it's got a limited that... duration, which, which right. by the way, would make an argument for get away from the spring. You don't need it. Right. I also have this question, Andy. The spring is in the middle of the woods. I have to imagine animals and insects are drinking from it. There are immortal mosquitoes <laughs> flying around that you you try to squash and you just can't squash. Uh, immortal mice that will never that will never die. This right. this can't just be. They're the only five. I, I have so, so in, many so in questions the, so in the book, and I think that again, I think the book does a better job. But in the book. Um, there is a frog that when he takes the bottle of water or toad that when he takes the bottle of, of water from and she pours it, um, the bottle that Jesse gave her, she pours it on the toad. And when Jesse comes back, finds her grave, um, he also finds the toad because the toad um, has she lived forever. She cursed that toad to live forever. He, right. She's so. a monster. Um, <laughs> I have well, a solution for yeah. Jesse and his family. It's yeah. called cement. Put cement over the spring and then leave. You never have to worry about someone drinking from it again. Mm. The end. Cement. <laughs> it is It is not often the solution to problems in a movie, but it is the solution to the problem of this movie. It's uh, also a solution to a number of Looney Tunes as well. Um, we've talked a lot about <laughs> Winnie Foster. I, I, I honestly thought cement was going to play a, a larger role in my life than it really has. Um, Fair enough. We've talked about Lenny, Winnie Foster, uh, played by Alexis Bledel, um, again, pre-Gilmore Girls, right? Um, Jesse Tuck is played by Jonathan Jackson. I think the relationship between Jesse and um, his brother is very Miles. interesting. Yeah. Miles Bearstow, uh, or played by Scott Bearstow. Um Jesse is an adventurer. He loves fun and exploration. He's also very lonely because what's happened to him. But unlike his family, he really tries or seems to try to enjoy his immortal life instead of feeling trapped in it. Whereas his brother is reserved, bitter, melancholy. His mother describes him as as, as cozy as barbed wire he wants to fight, cheat, Go to kill, war. Yeah. kill his revenge for his curse. He refers to his dad as Tuck. So he they uses Tuck by his first name, which is strange to me. Um, in the book, he's far more warm and far more practical. I think he's a, a, a blacksmith or something. Um, it's curious to me. So it's it's curious to me why this is set up this way. The, the reason two. it's set up this way is there's no anti. So this goes to the heart of one of my complaints. This would be a great 25 minute Twilight Zone episode. Uh, there's oh, enough yeah. story here for a yeah. half hour. But because this is a 90 minute section, and in fact, the man in the yellow hat is going to be dis yellow hat. That's from Curious George. Um, the man in the yellow yes, suit. I said. I said that too. Yeah, the man in the yellow suit is going to show up and be disposed of within like a page of dialogue. Uh, someone's got to take some antagonism to put some conflict in this story. And so they've saddled the older brother with, let's create conflict in this family. 
conflict mm-hmm. that can directly affect Winnie. Let's give let's and and he needs to be there to to give a strong reason why she should not drink. Uh, right. He's he's they've given him tension because in an in an hour and a half movie or however long this movie is, um, you know it there needs there there just isn't enough sources for it here. In, in twenty five minutes, uh, you would have enough tension. So they're they're creating him, and there's an idea that throughout this movie that he, if any of them is going to kill Winnie, it's going to be him. Uh, they never develop it. But they, so, they do use that as a low-lying threat that he's on board with killing her to keep their secret. Oh, yeah. He's the one that does the initial kidnapping, right? He's the one that snatches her up and um, takes her to Angus. Right. I mean, it's interesting how, to, again, to me, it's interesting how this family is very similar to Winnie's birth family, right? Mm-hmm. In that... Um, they still want to keep everything tight lipped and buttoned down. Right. Um, May seems to have a want for adventure, but she sort of obeys her husband. She does mother Winnie. Um, There's also this really curious device in this movie. And I'm not sure what you make of it, Larry, but it is something I bumped my head on. Um, There's a music box fidget. I did not understand the music box fidget. I don't either. And I think it's, again, I probably should have read this book before we started talking about it. But no, I feel don't like blame that's yourself. More... <laughs> I didn't do it either. If you blame I feel yourself, like... <laughs> I have to blame myself. <laughs> okay, we won't, then we won't. We are anybody. a movie podcast. It is that's better right. for us to not know. That's right. There, there is that music box. It's a it's a tune. The man with the yellow hat learns Suit. it. Or, so, sorry. Sorry, Curious George. Um learns it from the woman at the asylum who was married to Miles. I mean, there's a whole, it's like, what in the world? Okay, (laughs) let's move to the man in the yellow suit, because I have a lot there. Uh, Ben Kingsley, who, strangely enough, gives a really creepy performance in a way that I love. I love him. He's great in a role that is, um, how do I want to put this? really undefined by the movie in which we're in. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he embodies opportunism. He's a stalker. His conversation with that uh, priest is really telling. It reveals his intent to gain at all costs. I mean, when the priest says, "Okay, you speak blasphemy, sir, right? And he says um, fluently. I yeah, went through great. this. Okay, so I have a lot to unpack here. So there's what I thought was going on with the man in the yellow suit. And then what the actual reveal. So I'm going to tell you what I thought was going on. Um, mm-hmm. And then then I'll, I'll go to what it actually is and why my way is better. I thought <laughs> the man in the yellow suit was the devil. Literally the devil. Or Interesting. Death, death himself. Yeah. Uh, they talk about how he's been stalking them. No matter what country they go to, they always find the man in the yellow suit and they always flee. And then there's a shot where he's talking to the priest and then we cut away to the woods, but they do this really cool visual effect. I loved it where right around his neck, fire begins to appear as we transition to the comfort to campfire where Mm -hmm. where this is. And for me, I was like, oh, the reason he's the man in the yellow suit is this movie isn't going to call him uh, by any of the devil names. It's going to be implicit. 
It's going yeah. to be implied that what they are being pursued by is a supernatural force. They are out of balance and he is there to put them back in balance. And he's allied with dark powers. And I thought that was super interesting. And if that had been the answer, I would have loved to have heard more of what the man in the yellow suit had to say. Maybe he's not really a villain. Maybe he's like, I'm trying to make the Tux lives better. They, you know, like they're the ones yeah. running from mortality and I am mortality. What I, you know, like, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to break the curse. I'm a manifestation of what's out of balance and I'm trying to bring them back to balance and they're choosing differently. Um, and that would have been an interesting counterpart. Instead, we learn the following backstory, which Andy makes no sense. It makes no sense. So, the man in the yellow suit's mother was a nurse at an insane asylum. Mm -hmm. In that insane asylum was Miles's wife, who apparently went crazy, or did she? Because she wouldn't stop talking about how her husband, who she left, never died and was immortal. For some reason, the, the mom of the yellow suit, um, you know, uh, matriarch yellow suit, listened to the story of a woman she believed to be crazy mm -hmm. and thought, there's something to this story. Although, again, what is your source? Where are you? There's another guy there who says he's yeah. Napoleon. Are you doing that also? What are you doing? But okay, fine. Right, right. And she tells that story to her son. And her son goes, huh. My mom told me about a crazy woman in the asylum who told me about who told her about immortals. That is enough for me to dedicate the rest of my life to finding this family of immortals, which apparently right. is how he spends his life. And somehow we are never told how he is successful at finding them in, of all places, France. What kind of search was this? But fine. <laughs> he finds them in France and starts following them. But Andy, because he's so good at following them, he decides to always wear a yellow suit mm -hmm. so that he is easily identified every step of the way. I, I got news for the man in the yellow suit. If you really want to follow them, brown. Uh... Consider brown. First of all, you look terrible in yellow. Well, I, you look I think terrible. It's doing nothing for you. But in a brown suit, you could oh follow goodness. them and maybe not be noticed. And so then when he finally gets that, I mean, I mean, I mean none what, so, of this makes sense. So, so one of the problems I think with this movie and telling a supernatural story this way is it's told very pragmatically. It's it's the filmmakers are very pragmatic about it. Um, but this is a supernatural thing and a supernatural occurrence and a supernatural world. And I think anytime we enter one of those worlds, we have to uh, suspend judgment somewhat. No, right. Disagree. You don't think so? No, no. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, OK, in the sense that this is not the way our world works. Right. There is a story logic to it, but I don't think it has to like 
I don't got, think we have to spend time. Um, and it's one of my problems as a screenwriter. So I'll, I'll tell you about it. Um, I don't think I always have to spend time in my work locking down every, every single filling in every single hole. I think there's room for some mystery. Oh, I have been waiting to talk about this. Andy, have I ever given my lecture on this podcast about the one lie? No, I don't think. Oh, so. oh, this is one of my favorites. So so this is this is the thing. I know uh, you and so, I've talked about it before, but go ahead. I don't oh, think we've done it good... here. Yeah. So, go so, ahead. so this is uh, I write uh, listener in the supernatural space a lot. And I believe this piece of advice. I mean, it's not my advice. I believe it ultimately can be uh, traced back to Stephen King. Um, but, but, uh, if he doesn't want to claim it, it can become mine. Uh, uh, Stephen, if you listen, uh, let me know if it's mine now. Um, but I, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's his, um, which is essentially this, when you're telling a supernatural story, you are allowed exactly one lie mm -hmm. and that one, one suspension of disbelief that you cannot question. Um, if you can't go into interview of a vampire and say, I hated that movie because vampires don't exist. That is the one lie in interview right. of a vampire that you're allowed. Right. Right. Um, or, or the lie can be bigger. The lie can be that there are a bunch of supernatural beings that exist within this world. Uh, that it can be a big lie that has a lot of little lies in it. But again, you're only suspending disbelief once mm -hmm. it is okay to suspect that this spring exists and it is okay that this movie uh never explains where that spring comes from i don't think it's the best choice but we've come to see a movie called tuck everlasting we had to know immortality was going to be in it we have to accept that the spring works correct but then the rest of the world needs to function as normal and this story of the man in the yellow suit, who is a normal guy whose mom worked at an insane asylum, who spent his life hunting and tracking, and for some reason wears yellow suits. It's just too much unexplained stuff that has nothing to do with the one big lie. It's not a natural, it's not a natural thing that would happen. If he had been a friend of Jesse Tuck who always wondered why Jesse disappeared mysteriously mm -hmm. and spent and then started to see Jesse so randomly ran into Jesse at another place. And Jesse hasn't aged, but he has, mm -hmm. that would be a natural way to get the man with the yellow suit on the trail of the tucks. And the fact that there must be a secret for immortality. It's not hard to do it, but the road that they take for the man in the, in the yellow suit, to do all of this stuff is just not a logical road. It makes no sense. Right. It relies on people memorizing a tune from a music box. Um, it, right. It's it's They're so super complicated that I'm asking to be suspend my disbelief a second time that this is a logical path towards finding the tux, and it just isn't. And for I mean, me, the yeah, you're right. If like if the tune from the music box like starts, uh, like if, if that's what activates the spring, say, or if something like if there's some sort of logic, but what what we've got it, we've got pieces of lies. We also have. Like, not only do we have the the man with the yellow suits backstory, 
Uh, we have Miles' backstory, which we get as exposition in the middle of, you know, oh, he's been married before and that's why he's so angry um, because he lost everything. Like, there are too many, we derail too many times, I think. There's just, when the, there's just too many lies to believe and yeah, we're only allowed yeah. one. Yeah. We're only allowed one. Yep. Well, let's play the glad game with this movie. It's a game that you and I developed um, when we probably don't always agree about the movie. Um, and uh, in, in our, I, like, I would watch this movie again. I think the 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 reason I love this movie is twofold. One, I'm really glad it was made because I think it's a great opportunity always for young people to do um, a deep dive into a book and they really fall in love with it. And then check out a movie adaptation to see how it works for them or doesn't work. And maybe imagine things like like you and I do on this podcast, like, oh, I would have done it like this, or I would have made this choice and kind of think about story in that way. Um, but the other reason I really love this movie, and I'm glad it was made, um, is uh, Winnie Foster and Jesse Tuck have a beautiful budding uh, romance. It's not in the book, um, but it's it's lovely on screen. And I think the idea of a young female protagonist um, coming into her own and learning that there's life outside of this straight laced environment is always a story that appeals to me. All right. So um, you're not playing the glad game correctly because you can only be glad about something you don't like, but we'll allow it, (laughs) but we'll allow it. All right. Um, But I, I do, I do want to say, so, so, my inclination, listener, is to be snarky, but then I'm not playing the game correctly. So I'm going to say, I'm going to piggyback off Andy, and I will say, Andy, I also like the romance, but not the romance between Winnie and Jesse. Uh, I am glad that this has a movie, this movie has a romance between Angus and May and Winnie. That that mm. there is something in that there is something in the idea of a relationship of finding the child you never thought you could have because because Angus and May never had a daughter and maybe when they, they were planning to but when they drank from the spring part of being immortal robbed them of that chance to have the daughter they always wanted oh, interesting. and I will be glad it really it really does seem like them meeting Winnie gave them the chance to experience uh, parenthood for a daughter that was something that was an opportunity that they thought they would never have. I still hate the movie, but I am glad for that. Although, foster parents, become foster parents. You've got the time. What else you doing? And maybe that's what they do. Maybe I'm writing. Maybe that. they do. <laughs> they go. They go on, and they and they just adopt a bunch of children, uh-huh. and they find meaning. That's my that's my fanfic answer. They find okay. meaning in the in the mortality of other raising other people's children and and helping helping to provide loving parentage. Well, I didn't. I'm sorry, I didn't play the glad game right. I'll I'll try again. No, no, no. It's fine. We we didn't we didn't talk about <laughs> okay, it. Okay, okay. One more thing on the glad game. Um. The narrator. I like Elizabeth Shue. I'm glad she got some money from this project. <laughs> I, I'm going to play the mad game. Because the mad game, I, you did that on purpose. Um, I don't need a narrator 
to tell me <sighs> what I'm seeing. Narrator, like you have answers to questions that I desperately want. You are omniscient, narrator. Where does this, like, I don't need to know that Winnie's walking through the woods. I see her walking through the woods. I don't need to know that, that she doesn't like her mother. I see she doesn't like her mother. I need to know where this right. spring comes from. How about give me a name for the man in the yellow hat? How about, how about tell me anything about Winnie's life post drinking from the spring. You've got these answers, narrator. I would rather, Elizabeth Shue, this is not your fault. You, you, you're doing narration, you did not write the narration. I don't need this movie to have narration, and here's why I think the narration is there. To make the movie longer. Because the, Interesting. All of, they're constantly using all of this footage of Winnie walking through the woods, of them doing commonplace, mm -hmm. common things and narration over it. Sometimes they use the same shots over again. We see Jesse drive in on the motorcycle twice and it's mm -hmm. just make the movie longer, make the movie longer. We, we see we see Jesse's first kiss with with uh, Winnie a second time. I saw it 15 minutes ago. I don't need a flashback. This movie doesn't need narration. This movie needs plot. It needs character. And I am glad you brought up this point because I was sad that we didn't get time to talk about the narrator. <laughs> I'm glad I circled back. Yes. What movie are we tackling next week? And you said this was going to be a short episode. Look at you. <laughs> oh, oh. Um... Uh, I mean, it's maybe a longer... Uh, anyway, we've got more plot in this than... Uh, next week, we are tackling Treasure Planet, which oh, yay. I know I've seen, but mm -hmm. I don't remember. I think I've seen it once. I don't, I don't think necessarily in a bad way. I just don't think there were opportunities to see it till Disney Plus came out um, in, unless, in a regular way. Unless you had a you know, a, an eight-year-old boy who was pretty enamored with it and you bought the DVD and you um, wore it okay. out, basically. <laughs> Hypothetically, I guess there is a way, but um, I did not have that uh, specific eight-year-old boy. That's uh, right. That's I'm interested right. I'm interested in seeing this movie and seeing how it compares to the Treasure Island movie, uh, you know, that, that we did just, I think, last season or two seasons ago. Yeah, Time yeah. has no meaning. Yeah, that's uh, right. But, but it, might be, it might be worth... It might be worth revisiting that episode uh, as as part of our preparation for this. Time has no meaning. You're hilarious. All right. Um, this everlasting and, podcast. That's right. So if you like what you're hearing, are you? I, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And I'm always really curious as to what you think. If you have thoughts that are other than ours or you want to give us some feedback please share it with us take our, sides when we, we disagree <laughs> uh, yeah you need to you need to explain why tuck everlasting is a good movie and you can check out that is not what that. they will explain <laughs> you can do that at our once upon a disney facebook page or you can drop us a line in our mailbag at once upon a disney podcast at gmail.com so until next time friends see you real soon larry looked at the screen looked at his microphone would he come up with his own unique thing to say for this episode? Or would he go with rope? Ultimately, he decided to go for an ending. See you real soon.